Good afternoon and welcome to Enhancing the Digital Front Door Despite Today's Labor Shortage by Automating Repetitive Tasks, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Hiro. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments in the Q&A box and we'll take them later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 35, 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Joel Venko, SVP and Chief Information and Digital Officer with Bay State Health, Nasser Nizami, EVP and Chief Information and Digital Officer with Thomas Jefferson University and Jefferson Health, and Amber Fensel, VP Digital Health and Engagement with Novant Health, and Israel Crush, CEO at Hiro. So we're going to jump right in. We have uh, a lot to talk about today. So, Joel, um, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I want to thank uh, my uh, panel, uh, my co-panelists also for, for the time today. Um, yeah, so I'm the, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Information Digital Officer here at Bay State Health. Bay State is a five-hospital uh, health system uh, in Western Massachusetts. Uh, we have over 90 medical groups peppered around um, uh, the, the western part of the region. Uh, we are the largest um, health system, by the way, in, in the western part of Massachusetts. Uh, we also have a, a commercial um, health plan that we own, uh, about 250,000 members. We have a medical school that's now in its fifth year uh, that is on campus and focused on population health and, um, and primary care. And uh, we also have an, a technology innovation center called TechSpring, which I founded in, in 2015. And, um, and I'm, I'm just glad to be here. Thank you, Anthony, for the invite again. Thanks, Joel. Nasser? Hey, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nasser Nizami. And thank you, Anthony, for having me on. Uh, I'm the Chief Information and Digital Hospital at Jefferson Health. Uh, prior to joining Jefferson, I was with New York Presbyterian. And before that, I was with Yale Human Health. Jefferson Health is a 18 hospital, uh, two campus university and a health plan. We're about 9 million in revenue, about 40,000 employees. We are the largest healthcare provider in the greater uh, Philadelphia area. We serve Philadelphia and Southern Jersey. And again, thank you for having me. Very good. Uh, Amber. Hi there. Uh, my name is Amber Fensel. I am the Vice President of Digital Health and Engagement, as Anthony mentioned. Uh, I have the, the great opportunity of working at Novant Health, which is uh, perhaps you'd call it a super regional uh, in the Carolinas and Georgia. Uh, we have around 35,000 team members, uh, about 15 facilities, 800 clinics, nearly 2,000 uh, physicians. Uh, so we are a, a large uh, presence uh, in the Carolinas. Uh, my role particularly, I have the uh, the great pleasure of working with a brilliant group of individuals uh, that are constantly innovating and improving uh, our patient experience and our access to care through digital means. Uh, I have a clinical team that delivers 100% uh, uh, virtual care through a variety of different channels. And then I also have teams that uh, lead our system-wide programs for uh, digital healthcare um, through uh, devices and through deviceless experiences as well. Uh, and we continue to look for ways with uh, partners like Hiro to find operational lift, uh, improved experiences that we can uh, present to our patients and people in our community. Thank you for having me. 
Very good. Thank you, Amber. Israel? Hi, everyone. I'm Israel from Israel, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of FIRO, um, a much smaller organization. We are 55 people, uh, both in Israel and New York and California. And our mission is to automate digital interactions in any conversational setting 24-7, uh, so companies can communicate easily, convert more, and collect actionable insights along the way. In the past couple of years, uh, focused very much on the healthcare industry, specifically on the provider side of the industry, helping them with their patient digital um, initiatives, um, digital front door initiatives, and patient journey initiatives. Very good, Israel. Thank you. All right. Uh, next question, Joel, we're going to start with you. How do you define the digital front door? What is your organization's objective for it? And talk about some of the projects you've done in this area. Sure. Thanks. So, um, you know, obviously it's without saying we, we typically in, in healthcare have the analog front door, the physical front door. And so for us, the digital front door is really, um, you know, one of a number of channels that we are uh, beginning to, to really focus on to ensure that we've got, um, you know, engagement, um, other ways and means of engagement with our patients. Um, we aspire to have a 24 seven um, access to um, uh, aspire to have our communities have 24 seven access to, to our health system. We believe that that's essential for us to continue to um, achieve our mission, which is caring for our communities every day. And so um, the digital front door is really um, the alternative to uh, the, the traditional physical front door. And we, um, we, we see that in, in many different ways. So we see it as a part of our, our patient portal strategy, or we actually call it our patient engagement platform. We see the digital front door manifest itself on our, on our website. Uh, we see the digital front door manifest itself on, on our app store and the apps that we actually provide to our, our patients so that they can engage with us. And engagement to us, uh, sort of on a multiple um, level of, uh, of areas, uh, which include things like, you know, accessing information, accessing answers to uh, a problem or a question that they may have, uh, ac accessing um, a provider, whether it's uh, in real time or asynchronously. Um, and so it's really a channel for, for us to provide to our communities to enable them to get um, access to us uh, as they need and in the way that they need. Um, some of the, the ways that we've, uh, some of the projects that we've been focusing on with regards to the digital front door, uh, most recently, of course, with COVID are, are things like scheduling tests, um, COVID tests, um, lab tests, um, self-scheduling for primary care visits uh, and or virtual visits. Um, and of course, uh, things like preparing for elective procedures when we actually had elective procedures, although we're, we're bringing those back online now, but given this fifth wave, we had to take those offline. Um, but that's, a, that's an interesting example where, you know, there's so much work to be done prepping for, let's say, a GI procedure that oftentimes no-shows happen because, you know, the traditional means of, of sending folks, um, you know, uh, paper instructions and making phone calls to them uh, and missing them to help them prepare for what they need to not eat and what they need to take and what they need to pick up and then all of these different instructions tends to be overwhelming. And so uh, one digital front door capability is to um, provide them with a way to be able to see um, the, uh, you know, sort of instructions for and, and, and sort of video help for preparing for a, uh, you know, a GI visit or colonoscopy. Um, so we see the digital front door 
as a way for us to extend our ability to engage with our patients um, and enables them to access that type of information engagement in the way that they want to and when they want to. Very good, Nasser. Great, so very much similar to uh, what Joe mentioned, uh, we see Digital Front Door as a strategy to engage uh, patients throughout their journey. Uh, we think about it from acquisitions and things like uh, insurance eligibility and price estimation, pre-visit uh, when patients are trying to schedule, find a doctor or you know, uh, just they have a question during visit, things like wayfinding or uh, you know, electronic whiteboards and such, and then post-visit, so education or payments uh, and, and so forth. So it's a fairly comprehensive 24 by seven on way for us to stay in touch uh, with the patients. All, uh, all of it ties back to our organizational objectives. So we think about the front door strategy in terms of patient experience, uh, we think about it from an improving quality. So when patients respond to questions and check in themselves, uh, we have seen the error rate go down and quality improve. Uh, we also see it when um, patients are uh, doing self-service, uh, it's a better outcome and, and reduction in cost, better productivity and reduction in cost. So all the objectives for digital patient, patient uh, digital front door is, are tied to our organization. Objectives. We think a number of things that uh, most organizations are doing. I'll mention a few things that thought were really exciting. So during COVID, this really took off. A number of uh, features around scheduling, testing, resulting. Uh, we just had to switch on, turn on, on a dime, and which our teams did. Uh, we, we 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 leveraged our digital uh, as as a means to. Uh, help those in need. Health equity is is high on our list. We we just recently turned on uh, uh, Spanish portal and and mobile, and, and we are we are marching to with other languages. Uh, just very recently, we went uh, with uh, allowing folks to check in, with even if they don't have uh, a patient account, and so on and so forth. I think one of the exciting things that I'll mention that uh, we we went live with is. Um, of voice activated commands in the patient room. So things like, hey, turn my lights off or turn the blinds on, or can you lower the temperature? Patients in our rehab uh, facility are all able to do it using voice command. If you think about patients in a rehab facility, these are uh, some of the least mobile patients. So the huge success uh, uh, with, with our patients, we are looking to expand it. Of course, we are working, uh, we're hoping to start our with Hiro to automate some of the intelligent uh, you know, conversational features, uh, which we were able to implement with a different solution in the past, what we believe is really the future and we are really excited to, to, to be working on it. All right, very good, Amber. I, I echo most all of what my co-panelists have shared so far. Um, a slightly different maybe way to, to share the point of view from Novant Health is we, we are very intentional to survey and assess and um, embed ourselves within our communities so that we can truly understand uh, what our community uh, representatives, our patients, uh, caregivers are, are desiring and wanting. Um, our research has shown us that self-service and 24-7 uh, access is absolutely 
uh, a priority. And for, for me personally, Digital Front Door is uh, meeting the patient exactly where they are, uh, how they prefer, and on a channel that they, uh, that they choose. And so it's a variety of experiences that we must make available uh, to, and stitch together a meaningful journey across the different digital platforms that Novant Health may offer, whether it is web or, to Joel's point, our uh, patient portal or any of our um, even digital devices that we may put into the hands of our patients to do remote patient monitoring. Uh, when I think about the insights and analytics that uh, the technology that Hiro provides for us at Novant Health, uh, we have a, a few different uh, implementations and experiences from Hiro with their technology uh, at, at the foundation that has allowed us to gain firsthand information and insights from our, uh, our patients uh, that are using those digital experiences, particularly uh, the, the recent example I'll share is with um, our recent launch of Novant Health Now. It's a digital care platform that is allowing our, um, our patients to uh, ask questions, to do research, to schedule appointments, uh, to um, actually do a, a personalized filtering, searching for physician characteristics that are meaningful to them. And uh, at the cornerstone of that platform is our virtual assistant that is uh, delivered on, on HIRO's technology. And that conversational experience and the, the insights that those conversations and questions uh, allow us to, uh, to analyze really helps us shape the, the future, the, the next experience that we want to um, we want to pursue at Novant Health, and I think that that is um, that is part of the innovation and the ever evolving uh, digital transformation we're finding ourselves in healthcare, where these technologies a couple of years ago may not have been as um, in demand by the the consumer or patients, and and here we are now. It's expected, uh, right. and so we have to to meet that patient there. Very good. All right, Israel, we're going to start with you on this one. What types of digital front door projects are especially challenging and why should you always have the ability to escalate an inquiry to a human for a chat on or phone call? And are there some customer facing workflows that are not suited to automation? Your thoughts? Um, it's a good one. Um, so one of, uh, I would say the most challenging ones, especially in healthcare is around scheduling um, and talking about the digital front door and the new patient expectations. Um, so they want uh, the same experience that they have with e-commerce, even in healthcare today. Uh, so they want to be able to schedule from anywhere on any time. So we talked about the omni-channel approach, about the 24-7. They definitely don't want to wait on the line uh, for 10, 15 uh, minutes, not say even more uh, than that. And how do we create this type of um, scheduling experience in healthcare? Um, and, and some of the challenges there is, is really around, one, the deep integration to the EMR systems, to the electronic and medical records, um, and, and around when we're talking about scheduling, that's a sensitive project, uh, a sensitive process. Um, so any consideration regarding privacy and HIPAA compliance, security um, as well. Um, do I think that um, we should 
provide the ability to escalate an inquiry to a human, um, whether via chat or, or, or voice. Um, I, I can, again, get an example from a different industry. So when you go to the ATM and you try to withdraw um, money from your debit uh, card, if it doesn't work, you, you don't have a human to escalate to. And um, back to healthcare, for the most simplistic, simplistic task that we want to achieve, or the information that is quite constant, um, we don't want to be able to escalate to a human. That being said, if I just uh, replaced my credit card or a debit card and I have an actual issue, uh, then that's when I do want to do that. So it's really uh, about the complexity of the task or the information that we want to get. Sometimes it's also not possible just due to operational constraints. Um, and, and to the second uh, question regarding other customer facing workflows that are not suited to automation. Um, so I think that the machines are very good at uh, memorizing and organizing data, uh, given that the engineers actually uh, did a good job, right? Uh, um, so maybe a rule of thumb here is um, think about things that uh, most people will agree on, um, a lot of facts that are in the world. So let's take COVID for, for example, uh, when they just started, the CDC had a couple of guidelines and questions regarding COVID and how to maybe diagnose whether you need to go to uh, the, 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 the ER or, or just um, need to stay at home. Um, so this is something or a simple triage that you can do. Um, if you think about like a very complex symptom checker, um, that's something that maybe even physicians won't agree what to do with the specific patients and where to send them in. So definitely you don't want to start with automation there. And um, so I would say that the rule of thumb here is um, do things that are based more on knowledge and facts or business logic and that most people will agree on. Very good, excellent. Nasser? So I think, uh, so slightly different uh, angle, I guess, you know, in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge I think that we face, or I, at least at Jefferson I've seen, is just that there are too many apps for patients, just too many solutions. So that's probably number one challenge whenever you think about a new initiative. You know, is it going to be a yet another app that patients will have to figure out how to navigate, right? There is a pretty significant adoption and training element, which is, I think, becoming more and more of an issue as we have these niche solutions or different, whether it's a disease or a hospital or wellness, it doesn't matter. There are just too many of healthcare apps. I think that's probably, I would say, the biggest thing that we face as a health system, every specialty, every disease, every service line, apparently there is a solution. And how do you come with an organizational strategy when you have, uh, in, in some cases, vendors have their own very, I guess, contradicting and conflicting strategies. It's a challenge right now. I think ultimately it's probably going to be solved. That's for secondly, I think uh, internally speaking, uh, in terms of projects, we find that most difficult uh, projects are when we are working with multiple system, internal systems or partner systems. So we have several joint ventures and partnerships and often there is a desire to uh, offer a seamless solutions to our patients which is a great idea and uh, absolutely uh, we, we should be working on and we work on, but practicality of underlying systems being different, I think makes it very difficult to present a seamless uh, solution to, to, to a patient, okay? Uh, so 
the, the ability to escalate an inquiry, I think uh, that healthcare is different. And absolutely, yes, there should always be a path for patients to contact a human being. It may not be real time. So it's not like, hey, here's a chat or here's, here's a phone call. And, and if you click on this button, you're going to get a human. It doesn't have to be that. But there has to be a way because you never know the urgency of, of the question. It, at times, very small, very insignificant questions start, but end up being significant. Uh, we, at least from a provider perspective, we deal with healthcare and I feel very strongly there is always have to be a path to answer the question, even if it means uh, that will lead uh, to a human being. But today, look, uh, three years ago, four years ago, even today, most health systems and certainly Jefferson have a phone line. So why not just make it available? As much as we love automation, I think there has to be a path. Uh, and look, I think uh, the last question on customer-facing workflows that are not suited for automation, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, Israel gave a great example on symptom checker, uh, you know, uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, there are workflows uh, that are complicated. Anything that takes more than a few minutes is probably not a good self-service candidate. Uh, we have seen time and again that a few minutes in patients get frustrated. I mean, think about our own experience. My hour, when we are on the phone for more than a few minutes, I get frustrated. So, so there are mm -hmm. still workflows that are not suitable for automation, I think. And especially one another point of view, I think that we, we ran into recently is it's more than, I think, workflows, pieces of information. There are certain pieces of information like certain sensitive lab results. You know, think about digital front door, we want to make as much information as possible, but there are times uh, when there are patients like underage patients or there are results that may be sensitive and you want to think about how much you want to automate and how real time do you want to be. There is no right answer to in some cases, uh, but there's certainly, uh, certainly a challenge that we faced and certainly a discussion that I think um, all health systems need to have. Very good, Amber. I would I would like to reiterate uh, the point about our our uh, inundation of healthcare apps. Uh, the number of point solutions that have uh, come to the market are are at times overwhelming, uh, and it is easy to find a point solution to solve a problem. And if you aren't careful. Uh, you quickly will, will end up with a, a real estate of technology that is disconnected and not well stitched together. And that's where the, the breakdown, I think, um, can truly be impactful in a negative sense to those who are trying to utilize the technology uh, and self-serve. And so um, I do find it uh, challenging to, to navigate and, um, and drive a strategic view uh, outside of the organi organization, particularly you know, with, our, with our vendors, that we need to have a well thought out stitched together journey uh, before we, we make a decision and investment. Uh, look for a partner uh, with a vendor that is uh, that is amiable to take that time and explore what the, the journey is that you wish to desire. And then they will, that vendor that takes the time to do that, I suspect will align with you on 
the experiences that you want, your outcomes are going to be far better uh, than if you you um, solve one problem at a time. Um, I'd also echo what Israel mentioned around uh, look for automation to be introduced where there is a, a clear path. Uh, it can have a few branches, but if you think about implementing technology, uh, a self-service experience for uh, one of your, your specialty service lines, uh, if, you're, if you're part of a healthcare system where there are very nuanced and niche considerations and attributes between patient and physician that have to be considered uh, for symptom checking or for physician matching, those become very difficult to do. And so I would, I would say that, that is, um, those are challenging uh, projects to take on and uh, without full uh, invest, excuse me, investment from your clinical uh, partners, that will be very difficult to do because even uh, as, as Israel said, even the, the clinicians may not agree on what the workflow should be. Uh, so to try and engineer it in a systematic fashion uh, can, be, can be very challenging. The last point I want to make is just to, to reiterate that uh, in healthcare, I do believe it is essential to have a pathway for human inter intervention. Uh, we at Novant Health are very focused on the human-centered aspect and our patients being at the very core and their, their support networks being um, uh, at the core of what we are designing. And if there is a, a desire to speak to a live person, there should be a, an option uh, to allow them to transfer into that live um, person, whether it's a web chat. Uh, we have the ability through HIRO and, a, and an integration that allows us and our virtual assistant that someone asks to speak to a live agent, we can transfer them to, uh, to a live web agent and they can continue that conversation uh, with a person on the other end. We've had an implementation with HIRO that is a voice bot. And if there is the request to speak to an agent, which we, we did have them, about probably 20% of the calls that came in, uh, would ask to still speak with an agent, and we afforded that opportunity to, to redirect them uh, to a, a live person. So, you know, our actual implementations have, um, have validated that when a, a live person is requested, we should make that available uh, to them. And so we have, and, and I think that that is one of the nuances in healthcare that we should not lose sight of is that human-centered aspect. Uh, and where automation makes sense and where you just can't replace the human interaction. Very good, Joel. Yeah, I'll, I'll be brief. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that um, if, if I was to look at your first question, I, I would sort of maybe focus on barriers because uh, I think my colleagues did a nice job talking about the challenging projects. Uh, I think barriers for folks to, to sort of look out for, are, you know, the culture still is a big um, challenge always. Um, not that it can't be changed, but that's always, um, uh, you know, a, a, a tough hurdle to, to get over. You know, folks think that you're taking over my work. And so what's, what am I going to do if you end up, you know, uh, creating a front door that uh, I used to man? Or, you know, is it going to add more work to me? Uh, uh, who's going to, you know, who's going to be the one that's uh, monitoring the front door? Is that going to be me? So I think the culture and change management are things that can be barriers, um, but not, um, uh, you know, things that can't be um, uh, certainly solve for. And then the other, and I think, you know, Amber sort of touched on it is that, um, 
you know, it's if you do this work, the digital front door work or any digital work, um, and it's seen as an IT project, it can be a big challenge and a big barrier, right? Uh, get partnerships internally, externally, um, make it because it is a business strategy. It's a, it's a business initiative, not an IT project. Uh, so I'd say that those are uh, things that I see as, as barriers or challenges. Uh, with regards to, um, you know, uh, a human at the end of, uh, uh, you know, of that chain, um, I, I absolutely agree with my colleagues. Without a doubt, it has to uh, be able to escalate to a human. You know, healthcare is sensitive. It's fundamentally a, a human um, thing. And so uh, ultimately, that has to lead to a human. Um, and, 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 and it may be an immediate, um, you know, ripcord to to a human. And, and those are the kinds of things that we have in our process, in our in our pathway. So we can automate certain things and create bots for many of the interactions, but um, we need to give the human side of, of the equation um, its due because healthcare is, is about human, um, it's about human interaction. Um, and it, it sort of, in many ways, is, is kind of an answer to your next question around, you know, what can't be automated. And I think Nasser, you pointed it out. I think anything human um, you know, is, is probably, a, it's, it's going to be something you need to think of, think twice about if, if this is something that needs to be automated, you know, uh, I think of symptom checking is something that can be automated, but diagnosing and telling somebody their diagnosis is probably not something you want to automate. Um, you know, having a bot tell somebody that they have cancer is probably not a good idea. Um, you know, care coordination versus caregiving, uh, maybe is another way of uh, of looking at what's human and what's not. I think coordinating care for like sort of what's the next best action, maybe something that could be automated. And we do some of that today with some of our technology where we're matching patients and providers. Uh, but we certainly don't, um, you know, put a bot or, a, or, or you know, an automated, um, you know, um, uh, icon in front of somebody or avatar in front of somebody that uh, is giving them care. They just, they wouldn't go for that. So, um, so human is, uh, is key for sure. All right. Very good. Thank you, Joel. Uh, next question, Amber, we're going to start with you. Talk about the challenge and importance of re-engineering inefficient workflows before automating them via the digital front door. I think this was alluded to before. If the actual workflow is disorganized, allowing patients to interact with it electronically will likely result in chaos. And how can IT folks test with setting up, automating certain things um, work with the operational leaders to find out actually what they want to happen, what they think is happening to make sure they're creating uh, what's desired. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, I have, I, I think, a unique perspective in the sense that I have been the IT person. I have sat in uh, plenty of IT roles uh, in healthcare and outside of healthcare. Uh, and in today's world, I sit in a business owner uh, responsible for clinical services. So when I answer this, I, I'm, I'm wearing both hats uh, and, and trying to provide an objective uh, perspective, but, but unique. And I sincerely uh, support and recommend the investment in pre-planning and design uh, sessions, journey uh, mapping, design intensive activities and that early onset of an initiative that is uh, inclusive of the actors that are that are part of this proposed uh, project 
and uh, your clinical partners, your informaticists, uh, and certainly your engineers um, should be at the table. But I highly recommend having a subject matter expert in experience design uh, and journey mapping uh, concepts and, and helping facilitate thinking through how that workflow would truly come to life from a patient perspective and also from the clinical perspective. And I think if you take the time to do that up front, you'll identify those points of friction that you would not have found until you were in the in implementation too far down the path and, and build or test. And uh, your success will, will be negatively impacted. Uh, so to, to avoid the chaos, uh, certainly take that time to, to plan and to map a full comprehensive journey. And I think the subsequent benefit of that is, uh, to Joel's point earlier, is um, organizational alignment and culture. If you have all of those parties that will be part of the workflow ultimately represented in the room at the very beginning and designing that workflow, then you have began to build the foundation and the buy-in uh, for what that new experience, that new process that's re-engineered is going to be. And with that buy-in, you will be far better positioned for adoption and success when you are ready uh, to move that into production. So please remember that those clinical partners, they extend beyond just your physician's group and your advanced practitioners. It's going to be your, your clinic administrators. It's going to be some of your office staff. There is a, a heavy burden on our nurses today, uh, given the, the shortages that we are facing. So there, those are the variety of clinical roles, too, that I think need to be considered when you are doing that design work up front. Excellent. Thank you, Amber. Joel? Yeah, I echo um, what Amber had mentioned uh, in, in her statements, particularly the the players that need to be a part of it. Um, so, so I'll I'll frame for you kind of the way that we look at it, our structure. Um, but you know, prefaced with the fact that I think what Amber talked about with regards to journey mapping and human centered design, I think those are important key components of it. Um, and by the way, I I love this question because I think um, you know calling it digital is 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 um, it still has uh, the same potential pitfalls of paving cow paths, right? It's it's like you know, back then we were trying to digitize and 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 implement technologies, but if you didn't work on the work workflows and and the uh, the old traditional operating models, you could pave those cow paths, and it it won't make anything more efficient. So, so we look at it in three sort of um, with a with sort of a, a framework of three layers. The first is what's the outcome um, or the experience we're looking to um, to achieve. Um, and then the, you know, from there, we look at the operations that um, we have in place today that would um, uh, achieve those experiences or outcomes. And oftentimes what we'll find is, is that the experience or the outcome that we're looking for is not uh, able to be supported by the current operations. Um, it actually creates a different experience, a different outcome. So by that nature and looking at it from that perspective, it it really forces uh, your operating partners, um, your business partners uh, to really identify what are the things that we're doing today that we need to change to, uh, to be able to achieve those new outcomes, those new experiences. 
And only then can we start to talk about what digital capabilities we would want to have support those new operations, instantiate those new operational capabilities so that they can be scaled. So that whole sort of process can be scaled. Um, and, And with that framework, it really brings in more than just IT folks. It brings in, you know, the business partners. It brings in the marketing folks. It brings in finance um, and, and, and the accountability across those different um, domains uh, elevates and, and, and they get more embedded into the, to the, uh, the development of the solution because now they know what they need to change or they, what they need to support in order for us to achieve, uh, you know, an aligned outcome and, and or experience that, that we've all bought into. Very good. Nasser? I think I agree with uh, everything that Joel and uh, Amber said. Uh, I just say that this is probably the single most uh, uh, complicated issue that our teams deal, deal with. Uh, and one of the things I'm incredibly proud of is that IT at Jefferson, and I think it's true for most organizations, but certainly at Jefferson, is one organization that understands the processes of the entire organization, whether it's nursing, cardiology, revenue cycle, you name it. We have someone in IT that understands the processes. And often our job as IT uh, team members is to simplify and help them processes. I have in our team, we have uh, folks who understand human factor engineering, folks who understand lean processes, experts in UI and UX. And the reason we have these these individuals is when when we think about implementing an IT system, uh, often the processes that we are trying to automate are antiquated, complex, very difficult to follow. And when you uh, automate a very difficult, complicated, broken processes, you result in just you know magnifying whatever the underlying hmm. problems are pretty significantly. So imagine automating you know simple tasks like checking a website. Uh, so a human doing uh, you know seven or eight clicks, you can automate it and turn it into a thousand and thousands of clicks. That's just a simple example, but I think highlights you know, how, how important it is to address the underlying process uh, before you try to automate or solve the problem. And same thing is true for digital front door. Uh, I'll give you another quick example of online scheduling where uh, we, uh, we, we had this debate at Jefferson about how do we, should we permit, should we allow online scheduling to all patients or not? And the underlying issue was that uh, he, what if uh, it, it results in wasted time for providers so patients scheduling time with providers where it's not really needed, right? And of course, the first situation was a very complicated set of criteria, which simply patients were not willing to, to go through. Because as I said earlier, if it takes more than a few minutes or it takes more than a handful of steps, patients are going to get frustrated. So that we scratched that second uh, thing that we implemented was, all right, let patients just schedule. And, and on the back end, we will have people who are going to just check every request or most of the requests that come in uh, with limited success. And now what I'm going to call three is an efficient decision tree process where we're implementing decision trees that are streamlined, that are very simple uh, and based on a few questions where patients can navigate to who uh, or what especially they should be scheduling. So just one example of how, you know, you just cannot put a technology if you put a technology on a broken process, you're just gonna uh, magnify the broken processes. And IT has been, I think, for a long time, one of the areas that have helped organizations in general re-engineer and improve processes. Very good, Israel. Anything you wanna jump in with there? 
Um, maybe just to emphasize um, on, on what has been said here around aligning on outcomes um, with all the relevant stakeholders. Um, another thing that we aim, uh, tend to do is aim big, but start small. So taking it in baby steps, uh, we talk about um, getting into uh, the least resistant path. Um, so maybe use cases that are less around um, sensitive information, but more uh, public facing information uh, and then move from there. Um, and if I take it to the more uh, tech related uh, question, at least uh, for me, um, of how to re-engineer these inefficient workflows, what we saw working uh, with a bunch of um, partners is that there's a lot of data cleaning to be made. This is when dealing with um, digital fund door initiatives, it's, I don't want to say the first time, but it's, it's evident that um, the organization learns about uh, a lot about their data and the cleaning that they need to do with their data. So uh, one consideration uh, I, I would say that is important is to make sure that you can operate at speed, not only for the deployment after you aligned on the outcomes, but actually on the iterations themselves. So you have a lot of um, unknowns and you need to be prepared for that. And mostly you need to be prepared uh, to work with a partner that you aligned on the outcome, but that can also iterate very quickly. All right, very good. We're going to go to our Ask a Co-Panelist feature segment, my favorite. Israel, we're going to let you go first. You have a question for one or more of your co-panelists. You can direct it at someone specifically or to everyone, uh, however you want to do that. Um, sure. So um, I'll just choose uh, Nasser. We talked a lot about um, different um, challenges um, when thinking about the digital front door. Um, I wonder regarding... Um, additional challenges or considerations for healthcare networks that actually merged uh, with a bunch of other networks, uh, most recently with Einstein. Um, how do you think about these initiatives when you think about the various data sources or the various systems that you need to integrate together? Actually, it's also relevant uh, for Novant, so... Um, can take okay, that's a great... Nasser, why don't you go first? Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because uh, look, M&A activity is not going to slow down in our industry anytime soon. So, you know, and every time you acquire, whether it's a small practice or a large health system, there is this issue of how do you provide your now customers, new customers, new patients, a unified, a streamlined process because the expectations change, right? And we are in the same boat, as you mentioned, with our acquisition of Einstein. So, look, uh, there, there has to be a VM that we are working on ways to solve or tie the, I guess, you know, solutions in the back end. So that the, the, the trick here truly is to make it as seamless as possible for the patients and do the hard work of integration in the back end. Like in an ideal world, the entire country and entire world would be on one set of systems and we would never have any issues of uh, um, different systems, but that's not the world we live in. Uh, there always be multiple EMRs in even when you don't acquire, I think we are in partnerships and in the region, we partner with a number of other organizations where data exchange on both on the back end and on the front end. So for us as health systems and from a patient perspective is very important. So how do we provide that unified, even though when we are not one system? So I think your question is more than just acquisition. I think it is ways to think about, you know, we are now a pair and, and how do you, how do we Jefferson provide a unified space to our patients from a fairly comprehensive 360 perspective. I don't think that there are any perfect answers out there, but this is something that we are very interested in solving. And I think we are taking a small bites out of it, but 
it, it is still an industry problem. Amber? I concur. It is, uh, it is a, a tough nut to crack. It is, it is challenging. It's a big, complex problem. Uh, if you are a system that is uh, in that uh, pathway of M&A, I would, I would advise you, uh, if you haven't or are in progress, to truly invest in a modern data architecture and prepare yourself for uh, those sorts of integrations that are uh, inevitable and, and expected. Uh, and, and not to reiterate what Nasser said, I think what I would complement uh, his, his points with is as you are technically figuring out how to solve that problem, uh, there is a multidisciplinary um, group of, of, of representatives on both of those systems that need to be at play. And it's a close crosswalk with your marketing partners and your communications partners that as you figure out, you're going to announce and you're going to have uh, public uh, media around any sort of M&A activity that, um, that is memorialized. Uh, and that will happen far faster than any solutioning and integration work can. And so having very strong communication and marketing plans to assist your communities that are impacted uh, in that journey and, and overly communicate and, and multiple channels to communicate and, and really think about too, what are the what is the long-term vision to have as an integrated experience? And, and it could vary, it could be different depending on your situation, but it comes uh, comes back to that point of having a, a vision that you are aligned to early on that will shape your communications. And that will also shape uh, certainly your uh, your technical designs and, and solutioning that's there to come and, and prepare for a very large uh, investment and a body of work and a, and a span of time where you'll have all hands on deck to, to, to do that um, challenging work should you decide to do full integration or even partial integration. Joel, anything you want to jump in with there? No, I think I think my my uh, my panelists uh, stated all the things that I would have said. Thank you. Uh, all right, very good. Um, let's, Do I get to ask uh, a question? Yeah, let's let's <laughs> well, let's kick it over to you, Joel. Sure, you got a question for one or more of your co-panelists? I do, I do actually for both, but I'm going to start with Amber. You know, Amber, your I love your title, digital health and engagement. Uh, I think it speaks to kind of where we are as a health system or a health industry. Rather, we're trying to get more towards digital, obviously. But that also speaks, I think, to the, the breaking of traditional um, structures and traditional uh, roles. Um, I would love to hear from you in terms of, um, you know, how your organization is structured. What are some unique um, maybe roles or, 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 um, uh, or jobs under, under your structure? Because, you know, the old tradition of health IT before we got into this uh, into this realm of digital was, you know, you got folks that are doing internal apps, EHR, if you will. There's the CTO doing infrastructure stuff. There's a service arm, and that was pretty much the standard, right? But there are so many other things that are going on now, and I think we each have very interesting and unique uh, structures and roles. Would love to hear some um, some interesting things that are underneath your uh, oversight, and then also for you, Nasser, as you see your sort of larger IT organization. Yeah, happy to share. It uh, it has been an evolution. So digital health and engagement, it, it is a business unit that is sitting within uh, the, the typical 
uh, as you may call it, uh, technology organization, but we're a business unit that's sitting within that organization. And uh, we were previously part of our medical group. Uh, so this team actually sat inside of the Novant Health Medical Group uh, at, at inception. And uh, there was a very intentional decision made to lift the team out and remove some of those traditional constraints uh, that may exist in brick and mortar experiences and, and providing of care and move it into, move the team into uh, an organization where uh, innovation and the culture of curiosity for um, how we may think outside the box to deliver a traditional service uh, could be fostered and, uh, and nurtured. And so that was one distinct organizational change that was made. Uh, we still adhere to the same safety, quality, compliance metrics that our medical group uh, does and, and certainly have close ties and dotted lines into that team. Uh, but we actually have uh, one arm of my group that is, we call them digital care delivery. Uh, and that is a, a team of individuals of, of practicing clinicians uh, with a medical director at the helm that are delivering care uh, on demand. So you can have a, 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 an urgent care virtual visit uh, by accessing that team through our website or even through uh, our patient portal, MyTart or MyNovant. Uh, and that team also supports the, the digital health, the telehealth experiences for the broader medical groups. So not only does that team deliver clinical services themselves 24 by 7, they also support the rest of the medical group as they embrace and evolve their own telehealth offerings within the individual clinics. Uh, we also find ourselves frequently um, offering additional support to our medical group. Uh, for example, uh, if we have critical labs that uh, need to be reviewed in the middle of the night, uh, instead of waking up the physician uh, who is having a, a, a nice uh, night's sleep, we have a team of uh, advanced practitioners who can receive those labs and review those results uh, and and actually um, make the qualified decision of what to do next. Uh, and so that, those are ways that we have provided extended clinical services to our medical group. Mental health referrals uh, are made to our team as well, where uh, the, the scenario and the, and the patient uh, situation makes sense. So that's one aspect. Uh, and then the other part that's just really fun uh, is, is the part of my team that gets to bring new uh, emerging technologies forward for the system. So we do a lot of vetting, uh, a lot of research. Uh, we work closely with our innovation lab, uh, who does much of our scouting for that really bleeding edge uh, type of opportunity uh, that's out there. And then as it begins to grow a little bit of legs or, or maybe it's a little more in the, in the leading edge space where we have uh, clinicians who are ready to pilot or try something new, whether it's a, a new device it could be augmented reality or something ocular-based. It may be uh, remote patient monitoring and, and a solution for, uh, for uh, bariatrics, for example. Those are the types of other projects that has a technical aspect to it that is closely partnered with our medical group uh, to, to bring it to life. So hopefully, Joel, that gives you a little bit of, of insight. And, and, and just one last point on, on that, um, 
on the team, there is a foundational layer for engagement where we actually uh, have a community voice team with a panel of about 6,000 community members who have enrolled and said, hey, we'll participate in surveys uh, that you send digitally to us to to vet new ideas, to get a pulse check on how they may feel about a concept, or we have some market data that tells us a new idea may be something we would want to pursue. We will use community voice to actually reach uh, individuals and and seek their input and then use that data to help inform us on 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 decisions that we make. Very good, Nasser. Is there anything you want to add there? Briefly, I think I agree with everything Amber said. I'm a big believer that uh, IT is not separate than business. IT is the business. Our mission at Jefferson is to improve life. That is our mission, and uh, we are working to to really solve that. I am also. Um, you know, and that this, I would say this, like the, the, there is no one answer. There are many different answers on organization and structure, et cetera. It depends from organization to organization. It also depends on the where the organization is in their maturity. Uh, at Jefferson, where we are right now, uh, we are aligning different functions uh, under one team. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we struggled with is uh, creating a separate innovation team, uh, you know, that really brings some questions, which is, hey, so rest of the teams, are they not innovative? Uh, and and I, I just, we struggled with uh, having one team or one group uh, impression, at least, that one team or one group is working on a more, I guess, cool, innovative things, and other teams are not working on cool, innovative things. So we, we've tried to change that, and I think, you know, I'd like to uh, see and I, I believe that our entire team is very innovative. I think uh, we absolutely believe that if there is not stability, there is not firm investment in some of the basic functions, uh, it's very difficult to innovate, transform, or optimize on a shaky, uh, you know, non standard, non stable system. So, uh, our approach in the last uh, couple of years have been uh, to have one team delivering on innovation, digital, and also responsible for what you know are uh, traditional ISNT functions. So let's stop there. All right, we've got time for sort of what I'll call a lightning round of last thoughts, final bit of advice for your colleagues on the line struggling with that digital front door, wanting to automate some of those tasks that they think they can automate, um, make it a little more streamlined for people. So let's go through it. Joel, your final word. It's not about technology uh, out of the gate. It's really about, um, you know, business transformation. And and that means that you have to bring the culture along. You have to have deep and great partnerships. And and, and those are difficult to to address, but that's the first hurdle. Once you get there and there's alignment, um, then, you know, it's sort of uh, the the field is green. and, and, uh, And then I think you start to address the things that you are looking to address, which uh, at the core is making sure that you give your consumers and your patients uh, what they need to stay healthy. Excellent. Nasser? We are living in exciting times. Uh, our uh, this digital transformation has been accelerated due to COVID. You know, COVID was uh, this horrible things happened during COVID, but one of the good things coming out was that just uh, uh, adoption of technology and just the scale that uh, digital health got was just remarkable. And I, I absolutely believe that this will be a decade of digital health that really excites me. And I think uh, we're on a journey that's really exciting. Um, IT technology people like us are going to play an important role 
Uh, and in many ways, we'll be leading the organization. So I think we are very excited about the uh, next five, 10 years. Excellent, Amber. Thank you. I would, I would leave the team with the, the thought, I believe that not, there are tons of good ideas uh, out there every day, but not every good idea can be implemented. And to be very intentional and selective on the ideas that you want to bring forward and bring to life and look for the ideas that align to the priorities of your marketing partners, uh, of your clinical partners, and, and certainly um, tree up to your strategic priorities for the organization. So if you have initiatives that are a priority and programs that are a priority system-wide, identify those ideas and those opportunities uh, that are digital in nature that can be a force multiplier uh, and, and truly create some sort of um, expanded experience that may not have been thought of uh, in its traditional sense uh, initially, but if you look for a way to digitize or create a complement experience to a core um, priority for the system, then I think you can have great success, uh, but, but be selective in what you choose to do and what you choose to invest your resources in. Uh, the resources are limited. Your clinical partners are stretched very thin. Uh, so, so be selective. Excellent. Thank you. Israel, we'll give you the last word. Thank you. Um, so I said it already, aim big, start small. Uh, by aiming big, carefully choose the partners that you're going to work with and make sure that they're not another app in this um, ocean of apps and that they can actually support you in various use cases on various channels and then start small, uh, go at the least resistant path and have some quick wins for actual needs and go from there for the more complex uh, scenarios. Excellent. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll receive an email when the recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team or go to our, and go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Joel Venko, Nasser Nizami, Amber Fensel, and Israel Crush. I want to thank Hiro for sponsoring and our attendees for once again joining. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Great day.